All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited. Uh, in a different setup, obviously, this is not where I normally am. This is actually my childhood bedroom. Uh, shout out to my parents. Uh, I will give a little bit more info just a little bit there, but uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys for hopping on. Late hour, obviously. Uh, for a week, uh, for a week that doesn't include an actual Nuggets game. This includes a Summer League Nuggets game, but this is why y'all are the sickos, just like me. And I really appreciate all the love, really appreciate all the support. Thank you so much for hopping in. If you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that like button below if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, But for everybody else, just thank you so much for enjoying, and I really appreciate all the love and support as always. All right, let's talk about a variety of things here, uh, but I do want to focus in right now a little bit more on Summer League. We'll do that for the first segment and then the thumbnail that I built out for today. Uh, we will talk about that in the second segment and then maybe do the SBs in the third, just a little bit of a, a brief touch on that. Uh, some, some fun Nuggets awards that got awarded for Denver. Uh, but really quick, uh, before I get into all that, uh, thank you for all the support and, and sharing love. My dad is doing well. Uh, he had a, a pretty invasive surgery yesterday and uh, was like, been a while since I, I got to see him yesterday, but uh, he's doing great. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the well wishes. Uh, very unique experience for me, just not something that I've ever had to deal with before with him. He's like when the, when the doctors read off the uh, <laughs> all the, all the the medical history, I was like, "Gosh, this is a glowing report." I cannot wait until I'm 64 to uh to have such a glowing medical report. But uh, but no, he's doing great. They did a great job with him, and I don't want to get into the details on it too much. But he's uh, he's doing fantastic. So thank you so much for all the love. All right, let's talk about summer league. Let's talk about everything that happened in this particular game. Uh, not a fun one for the first half. Denver was down 55 to 35 after that first half. They were shooting like 30% from the field, 20% from three, some pretty aggressively bad shooting splits. But uh, in the second half, Denver puts up 56 points of their own, hold the Jazz to 41 points. I thought their defensive intensity turned up a lot. They did pretty well to stay attached and uh, just couldn't necessarily make enough shots to really put them over the top. Uh, but Julian Strother, Hunter Tyson, those guys show out with the the most amount of points. I don't think that they played the best. I, I'd actually probably give that nod to Jalen Pickett if I had to grade it out, actually. Uh, but I did like what I saw from those three guys, Denver's three draft picks, Jalen Pickett, Hunter Tyson, Julian Strother. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff from all three of them. And interestingly enough, all three of them, and actually every starter, Finish in the positive in the in the plus minus for this game. Not that it really matters. Uh, this is summer league, and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty details there too much. But Denver hasn't won a game, so you got to look for the silver linings, and you got to look for some of the other details. But uh, starting with, let's start with Strother. He's the leading point scorer. He's the guy who I think everybody was really hoping to uh, see show out at summer league here. Uh, Strother looked great uh, from a a driving standpoint, from a hustle standpoint. Uh, there were some really nice plays in transition for him. He got to the spin move a couple of times in transition, drew some fouls, 
did, did some good things trying to get himself to the line. He ultimately finished 21 points in 33 minutes, uh, 33 out of 40 minutes, given that they're 10-minute quarters. Uh, 7 of 17 from the field, 3 of 11 from 3. That third 3 that he hit was right at the buzzer. Uh, had really struggled to get some of those good shots down. Um, but he did make some good open court plays, uh, did get to the rim a little bit, whether it was with the with uh, the spin move or whether it was with just getting to the floater. The floater didn't really go in that much, but he did draw some fouls just attacking the rim. And I liked what I saw from him. Uh, the broadcast was making the point that he he's beaten up and he's got the black eye. He's got the cut under his eye from smacking it on the hardwood last game. Uh, and he also got hit in the face, uh, just uh, flopping a little bit, but getting a nice little push off from uh, the first half or not, not the second half, like as Denver was trying to make their run. But he's hustling. And that's what you like to see from a guy like Julian Strother. In the last podcast, I had talked about him uh, not as like a like as kind of fighting against my general perception of him as kind of that wide receiver type, that diva type. Not necessarily like his, as the shooter. This is the chicks dig the long ball kind of guy. Uh, he isn't that. I don't think that he's that. I think he's a little bit more gritty. I think he's a little bit tougher. And I think he's willing to mix it up a little bit more than I initially thought. So really good to see him do that. And like in a game that doesn't matter, like it's a summer league game, he has an opportunity to not do that. And the fact that he's choosing to do so, even when Denver was down 20 at various points in this game, and maybe even more, uh, was really good. Really good to see from him. Uh, Hunter Tyson also mixing it up. 12 rebounds for Hunter Tyson. 19 points, 12 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal. Did have 4 turnovers, but I'm not as worried about those. 5 of 12 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3, 6 of 6 from the line. Like, this was an actually, like, solid starting power forward kind of game from Hunter Tyson. And he did all of the things that you're hoping to see him do. Uh, Switched out a little bit defensively, did some good things there. Uh hit some shots. I think I thought he missed some shots. I thought he was very aggressive with the jumper and wasn't necessarily like like the shot selection wasn't great in this one. I thought he had a very quick trigger, but I also thought he kind of earned that quick trigger with the way that he had played in those first two games. So not really a big deal, uh, but it was still good to see him. It was still good to see him do what he did. And uh, I like the way that he defended. I like even though he got crossed up, he got dropped at one point. The defender or the offensive player did not hit the shot, so good for that. Good that he didn't hit it. Uh, but was still good to see him defend. Still good to see him hustle. And that was like immediately after getting dropped, he hit a three on the other end. So it shows a little bit of mental toughness. Shows a little bit of like aggressiveness and wanting to fight back against some of the the stigmas that I think he. He might have received in the pre-draft process, but he's he's fighting. He's hungry. He's got a motor, and I think that that's great. Now, there are a couple times where the athleticism needs to be better, like the couple times where he got outleaped for rebounds and shots at the rim and things like that. But uh, mostly, he's just in the right place a lot of the time, and that's really half the battle. So, is he good enough to be a backup in this league? I think so. I absolutely do. Denver didn't really draft him to be a starter, and so that's fine. I'm not really worried about him being a starter. Just understanding everybody, like I, I don't think that that's where his ultimate ceiling is going to be. He's probably not athletic enough to guard at the highest levels, but to be a team defender in 
the context that the Nuggets need him to be. Yeah, absolutely, he can do that. So I'm I'm really impressed with what he's done. Um, and Jalen Pickett, he deserves credit for sure. I think that like so he had two points and six assists in the first half. I didn't think that he was aggressive enough getting into the lane and looking for his own shot. And he had ten points in the second half. Didn't have as many assists. Also had some guys that just missed some shots when he was kicking them out the ball, but. Uh, that's what happens when your team shoots 23% from three, 10 of 43 from three-point range. Uh, not really Pickett's fault there. He was doing a good job of creating a lot of open shots, especially for Strother. So uh, I do think that this isn't a, it's not a big deal, um, but I did like what Pickett did. I thought that he hustled. I thought that he did a lot of good things. There are still some athletic concerns that really pop up out there, but there are some awesome plays that he does make too, where he's just hustling and disrupting and in passing lanes on the defensive end. And then uh, he will dribble around the ball and he'll bully ball somebody else that's the same size as him or like or like smaller than him, but not actually. Like there's, there's a lot of guys that he puts under the stanchion, even though he's their same size. So he's got that toughness. He's got that gene of knowing exactly what he needs to do and pushing against that. So there were a couple of times where he got blocked or had a shot deterred or like made a bad pass trying to get down there. But like, look, you can't really argue with the line. 12 points on six of nine from the field. O of one from three. That's probably got to go up. O of two from the line. Obviously, they'll be better there. And then six rebounds, eight assists, three blocks, and three turnovers. So really good to see him play that level. And I, I think that he's a guy that I'm I'm not really concerned about. At this stage, I think that he's going to be what he is. He is a quality third guard, uh, third point guard, excuse me. And if he has to step into the rotation at some point this upcoming season, I think everybody should be okay with that. It's not, this isn't a bad situation for Denver if that's what happens. Um, if he has to be a backup uh, consistently for 82 games, I might feel a little bit differently, but. He's talented enough and smart enough and capable enough that I think he can be okay there uh, sooner rather than later. But we're, we're going to find out. We're, we're going to find out. I'm, I'm curious to see whether they can stagger him and Colin Gillespie a little bit more uh, because there's just not enough opportunities for Pickett to just guard point guards. I would like to see him guard point guards. I want to see what that looks like. And then um, we should probably talk about Connor. He had some good moments. I, I don't want to say that he didn't, but he's just one of those guys that I have some questions about. Um, he's one of those guys that I, I'm going to make a comparison here, and I don't want people to overreact to think that I'm a hater. Uh, there's a lot of Faku energy here. There's a lot of, I look like I'm hustling, and I'm a smaller guy, but I'm going to compete my ass off. I'm going to try. I'm going to be a fan favorite because they see the hustle plays, the diving on the floor, and then I make a clutch play here or there. And like Colin's going to make some plays, and, and he will absolutely do that. But the more I watch, it's not necessarily like even the one-on-one -on -one plays that I'm worried about with him. It's the rotating out after an offensive rebound and he just can't like he has zero prayer to contest a corner three like this just it's just not going to happen and that's okay like that's, that's not going to be part of his game and he's going to have to be better offensively as a result he's going to have to be smarter he's going to have to finish a little bit better than he has 
And and to this point, he hasn't. And I think that he's going to have to improve. And, and he'll he'll have some opportunities to improve. But if Denver is going to sign him to that two-way, and, and I found out from Bobby Marks today, who I quote tweeted and was just wondering about the actual deal that Colin Gillespie has, he isn't actually signed yet by the Nuggets. I think it's been discussed that he has been signed. He's not actually under contract for Denver right now. He hasn't signed his qualifying offer that's been that's been extended to him by Denver. And so he's looking for a, a full-time opportunity, but I don't think that he's going to get one based off of the summer league performance. So my guess is that he takes that qualifying offer, which is another two-way contract, and he will be on Denver's roster, and that's going to be something that they think about. But I I would be at least a little bit weary or wary, excuse me, of putting major expectations on him because it just it does seem like this is going to be a process coming back from that broken leg and establishing himself, establishing that rhythm again. Because it's hard. Like it, he just doesn't have a lot of time, despite the fact that he's been working his way back. Like there's a difference between playing like scrimmaging in practice and going full speed in a game where guys are trying to kill you. So, I don't know. Like, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't want to, like, write it off or anything, but I'm not surprised that he's struggling a little bit. He did make some shots, and then he deserves credit for that, but I I would still be at least be a little bit worried about the actual, like, impact level because there are a lot of shots that were made over the top of him. Just a lot. And you, you notice those patterns over the course of three games. Uh, in terms of other standouts, uh, Amar, Armand Franklin had a couple plays, not necessarily anything too special. Cassius Stanley got to the free throw line 10 times. Uh, he, he made some athletic plays, but also I didn't like some of his shot selection. And then there are some times where he broke the play that I, I wasn't really a fan of, but I understand why he did it. Um, and then Amir Sims was the guy who started at center. He had one rebound in 23 minutes. That's not good enough. Denver got out rebounded forty eight to thirty four. Uh, Utah, like they had so many offensive rebounds in the second half that that was just a, a big massive issue for Denver, and that's what happens when Denver goes small. Hunter Tyson's not going to be able to rebound by himself. Um, and then no other guys really stood out here. Uh, nothing, nothing major. But Ismail Kamigate did not play, and Peyton Watson did not play. I would expect Peyton Watson to play tomorrow. I don't know about Kamigate. Uh, actually, I think I probably would expect Kamigate to play. It's clear that Denver does need size, and they've gone through this uh, this rotation with their centers now. But it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, but yeah, that bench was not good for Denver. and It wasn't until Cassius Stanley basically hit uh, nine free throws that they actually did something. So... Going to be interesting to see how that progresses, but Denver's now 0-3 at Summer League, and I would be at least a little bit, like, they, they might go 0-5. Like, there, there's at least a possibility that they do. I hope that they don't uh, for Coach John Beckett's sake. I, I want to see him succeed. I want to see him do well, but uh, it, it would not surprise me if Denver went 0-5 in this thing. Just it, it feels like they don't have enough shooting. And when they do get the shooting, the defense isn't there. Like, or when they do get the defense, they don't have enough playmaking at various stages. Or uh, they don't get rebounds when they need to. Like, there's, they just haven't been able to string together a full game. So it'll be interesting to see what they can ultimately do with it. But 
I, I'm not too worried. Like, it's summer league. I, I don't think anybody should be really stressing. I do think that the three rookies that Denver's played, though, they've had some good plays. Hunter Tyson, Colin, uh, no, uh, Julian Strother, and Jalen Pickett. I think that if I had to rank those three right now, not that anybody's asking me to do so, uh, I would probably rank Jalen Pickett 1A, Hunter Tyson 1B, and Julian Strother third. Uh, just like a, a clear three there in terms of what their actual level of impact has been for the team. And that's fine. Like, I, I wasn't expecting too much from Hunter Tyson. I'm glad that he's been able to show something. I was probably expecting a little bit more from Strother in terms of the all-around impact. Hasn't really done a ton there in, in terms of the other stuff outside of shooting, and he hasn't really made his shots. So that's going to be a bellwether for him. He's got to make more shots, and the Nuggets are going to have to uh, put him in a position where he can take fewer volume and... I think, be a little bit more efficient in, in that realm. Tell you what, though, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, just everything involving the Western Conference tiers. I, I have a lot of stuff that I want to go over for my article today, and I, I think I've got some takes that I want to get off my chest. But first, everybody, we're changing the game with Superbook Sports. Help your bets stay hot this summer with Superbook. The most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to 250 bucks with your first bet bonus. Win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to 250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code, and you'll get 250 bucks courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522. 4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the pod. Thank you very much, everybody for hopping in. I really do appreciate it. I know that this isn't like the most like <laughs> Summer League Game 3 without Peyton Watson wasn't the most interesting content, but I thank y'all for being here. It's uh, as a, a nice um, a nice sign for the, for the real ones out there. I do genuinely appreciate it. Alright, let's go over the Western Conference tiers. This is what I wanted to do and I've been asked this, I've been thinking about this a lot. There's been a lot of discussion around uh, the NBA circles where you get done with free agency and things start settling down. And free agency isn't done. Like, there are still some guys out there that haven't signed. Like, I don't think PJ Washington for Charlotte has signed. I don't think that Kelly Oubre has signed. I don't think that Christian Wood has signed, if I'm not mistaken. So there are still some guys that will probably go places. And of course, you've got James Harden and Damian Lillard and players like that that have made these trade requests that will probably get moved. And we'll have to wait to see where the ball drops there. Uh, but I do want to do these Western Conference tiers right now. Uh, maybe we can revisit them in the preseason. Uh, but just post-free agency Western Conference tiers. We're going to start at the bottom. And I'm going to start with the Trailblazers and the Spurs. 
Uh, Trailblazers, I, this is the assumption that Damian Lillard is going to get moved and they are going to do a hard tank. But here's the thing. If they trade Lillard for, I don't know, Tyler Hero, Nikola Jovic, uh, not Jokic, that would be, that would be weird. Um, if they trade Jaime Jaquez, if, if he's a part of the deal and, and maybe they get a few first round picks. If all of that goes to Portland, then they're not a bad team. Like, that's just not bad. You're going to have Scoo Henderson, Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, Tyler Hero, Yusuf Nurkic, assumably. And then you'll have various pieces off the bench, mostly rookies and young players, but some interesting guys. Some uh, uh, Shaden Sharp is also, I think, in that lineup somewhere. Uh, so they've got a lot of pieces that they could probably work in and that they're going to have some interesting groups to play. So they don't suck. Like, that's not that's not what this is going to be. But the problem is, is that the Western Conference is stacked from the top to bottom. And if you're a fan of the West, you know this. You know that this is how it's been outside of when teams are blatantly tanking. The Spurs are the other like, and the, like the Blazers are going to blatantly tank. Like they'll shut down various players. They'll probably, sh- if, if they were to trade a guy like Tyler Hero, if he ends up being there, it might just be Kyle Lowry. Like the, you, you never, you don't know what it's going to be. But I feel pretty comfortable putting them in tier five. I think that Dame has played his last game as a member of the Blazers, and even if he hasn't, like they haven't been good these last two years either. So I'm feel pretty comfortable putting them here. And then the Spurs are also here, despite the fact that they have Wemby. I think that Wemby's going to need some time. I know I've had some yeah, strong takes about Victor Wembyama, but what I will say is that he's just a rookie who needs time to be seasoned, and the version of himself that's going to be 25 years old is so much different than from the guy that he is now. So you've got a team around him, and Trey Jones, and Jeremy Sohan, and Keldon Johnson, and Devin Vassell. and These are young veterans, guys that I think are going to be good in this league, but may need another year and like at least in a year of being together when you're going to upset the apple cart like this with Wemby kind of at the center of things. And they might not even start him at the five. They might start him at the four. And if that's the case, then you're probably just playing a lesser lineup in, in and of itself. So I'm very curious to see how it works out, but I think that it's going to be slow and I feel pretty comfortable putting them here. Next. The Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz. Um, just looking at the comments here. No, Rob. Uh, Ao is not signed yet. Ao Dasumu, uh, Excuse me. He'd be a great signing for any team. But the problem when you're a restricted free agent is you are uh, basically at the mercy of your own team. And if the money dries up, then you just don't have an option there. So that's going to be a problem for him in Chicago, and especially like they have the leverage now. They they have all these guys that have, have they can say that they have, like Javon Carter and Kobe White and players like that, young players that they are still re-signing. So I'm surprised that he hasn't been signed, but going to be interesting. Um, Tier 4 for the Western Conference, the Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz. Houston, I think, has done enough with the veterans that they've added. Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, Jeff Green. Uh, they added somebody else, and I'm, I'm forgetting who, but uh, they added four players, if I remember, that are good enough to be in a consistent rotation. And you surround 
Jalen Green, Alper and Shangun, Jabari Smith, who looked great at Summer League, Tari Eason, who looked great at Summer League, and like you've got enough young talent there mixed with some veteran talent there that I think that what they are probably betting on, Houston, is that Fred Van Vliet can be their version of Paul Millsap. Somebody who they pay a bunch of money. They're okay paying a bunch of money to him, though, because he's going to be a good veteran leader for a group. Oh, Jock Landale. That's right. Uh, thank you, Cedric. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Jock Landale would be... That's an interesting one. So he's a good backup center uh, for Shangun, somebody who like would be pretty solid for them when Shangun is acting dumb as a young player because young players always act dumb. So I think that that's a that's at least a reasonable option for them, and so they've got enough talent there that I feel pretty good about them winning thirty to thirty five games. Is it going to be perfect? No. Might they tank at the end? Maybe. Like they probably will, if we're being honest, because that's just how the NBA does it. But I think they're going to be good enough and capable enough that they're going to want to develop at least a little bit. And Jalen Green, if you believe in him, then he has more room to grow. And same thing with Jabari Smith. Like Those guys, they seem to me like good young players that they're, at least you hope that they have their, their heads on straight and that they're wanting to do the right thing. Shangun, I feel, is is pretty much in that realm too, but uh, that's a that's an interesting young team. And then the Jazz, the reason why I have them here and not in Tier 3, the, the one above it, is despite the fact that they traded for John Collins, that they have Larry Markkinen, that they have Walker Kessler, like they, they are good, but I think that they're a point guard away. I think that they are a ball handler away from actually tying that thing together. And when you don't have a ball handler, like their best ball handler right now is Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Talon Horton Tucker is also there, and they've got um, Oshai Akbaji is probably going to play a significant role, and that's just not good enough from a a playmaking standpoint, in my opinion. So they're going to have a lot of talented big guys that are struggling to get the ball, that are struggling to structure the offense a little bit. Markinen is really good, but a lot of what helped them last year was being set up by Mike Conley and being put into a great position to succeed in that front. So now he's talented enough now that he will be okay, even without Conley being there. But I do think that once Conley was traded and they acquired Russell Westbrook and then bought him out, their point guard play went down the drain on purpose. And like Markinen was fine, good, but they still tanked. They tanked in- intentionally. So oh, Colin Sexton's another guy. Yeah. Uh, Taco Fall says, uh, Taco Fell, Colin Sexton's fine. Like, I'm not going to bend over backwards to credit Colin Sexton. Like, he's okay. And there were a lot of times where he didn't close for them last year for the obvious reason that he just, like, he's not the best decision maker with the ball, nor is he the best defender. So I think that they're going to have a slow burn. And this this just also strikes me as a team that's going to win about 30 to 35 games. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit higher than that, maybe a little bit better than that. But think about how great they started last year, and then how easy it was for them to tank. Like that's kind of where I see them ending up. Tier three: Clippers, Mavericks, Pelicans, Thunder, and T Wolves. Uh, this is a significant tier. This is a group of teams. Like we'll talk about this one, and then we'll hit a break. Um, the reason why I have the Clippers here is. 
I know that the rumors are that Hardman's going to go there. For some reason, I just feel like it's going to fall through. Like, I don't know what it is. I know that the Clippers have been pretty quiet. It feels like they need to make a move, but they also know how important guys like Terrence Mann and Nicholas Batum and, and some of their role-playing defenders are uh, to the actual chemistry of that group and the ability for that group to succeed. Um, I don't think that they're going to get it done. Something leaves me a little bit dry there in terms of, like, I just, I don't see that working from a deal-making standpoint with Daryl Morey. And uh, I, I don't know who's in charge. It's, it's not still Lawrence Frank who's in charge there. They have a new guy who's who's running the ship. But I just don't think that Harden's going to end up with the Clippers. Maybe he does. Maybe that's maybe that works. And maybe like that will certainly end, elevate them up to Tier 2. I don't think it elevates them to Tier 1. But if they do get Harden, consider the Clippers in Tier 2. Mavericks is an interesting one. I had a lot of Mavericks fans. When I initially put the Mavericks at 11th on my Western Conference rankings, like basically at the bottom of Tier 3, uh, Mavericks fans were very unhappy. I think that they have a ceiling that's a little bit higher than where I put them at 11th initially, but I do think that with Luka and Kyrie, if you if you believe in that duo as an offensive group, then the questions start defensively. Them adding Grant Williams and retaining Josh Green and adding another defender and Rashawn Holmes, and like they still didn't really replace a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith. Like Grant Williams is not that, and they still don't have a great backcourt defender. That's still something that they probably need. Now, Josh Green is okay, but he's not great. So I'm curious to see what they do there. And one of the big issues is that when you have Kyrie and Luka and you're switching a whole bunch... Sometimes it doesn't matter how many, like, if you have one great backcourt defender there, you're just going to switch that guy off, and you're going to have Kyrie defend, you're going to have Luka defend, and those guys just don't want to do that. So I'm curious to see whether they will. I'm curious to see whether they can handle it a little bit better. Uh, but they have other guys. They did just trade Reggie Bullock. Uh, Matisse Dybul did get matched by the Portland Trailblazers, so he's not going to Dallas. He's actually going to stay in Portland. Another guy that I forgot to mention with Portland, but um, that just kind of goes to show that doing a tier list here is really hard. Like it's just really difficult. Some of the teams that you're, I'm talking about, like I think right now, if I was to be guaranteed that Damian Lillard would be happy in Portland, I might pick Portland ahead of Dallas in terms of whether they would actually where they'd actually finish. Now that's probably not going to happen, and I think there's reasons why, but. I, it is going to be fascinating. I just I don't know if I believe in the maps. I don't think they've given a lot of people reasons to believe in them either. So, going to be interesting. Pelicans. This one is. I mean, it's hard not to. You, you guys understand why I'd be a little bit worried about the Pelicans. Like they uh they're at least a little bit worrisome when it comes to health and Zion and Brandon Ingram playing together. Those guys have never found a rhythm together, and now you're introducing guys like Trey Murphy and. Herb Jones from from this last couple of years, and uh, they have some incoming young guys like Dyson Daniels and players of that nature that I think that they should be playing more. Uh, the problem, though, is that they're still starting Jonas Valanciunas at center. Like He's still the guy, from what I understand, and Willie Hernan Gomez is their backup, and that's fine, but it's also not great, and it's also it very much changes the complexion of your team. So I, I just don't think that they've really changed anything of significance with the Pelicans. 
and they're just relying on a little bit better health. Now, they might get that. They might have that, but I'd at least be a little bit concerned if I were their fan base of like, okay, so where are we going? What are, What is the plan here? Is the plan just to wait on Zion? Is that good enough? Is he good enough? Maybe, probably, but it is very dangerous. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that ultimately pans out. But if I am a Western Conference team, the Pelicans are a great bellwether for if you are not better than the Pelicans this season, then you should think about like where you're at. Like if the Mavericks are not better than the Pelicans, then like, they're not going to win a championship. If the, uh, let's say the Thunder, if they're not better than the Pelicans this year, then they at least have, have some things to think about with their, their actual... Now, the Thunder are a little bit of a different story here because of how young they are. But I, I do think that the Pelicans, like they, they, they feel ripe for a change, despite the fact that it feels like they're still a pretty new team together. So I'm curious to see what they ultimately do. And then the Thunder, as I mentioned, they are such a young and talented team. I love what they did with the draft. I love some of the young players that they have on their roster. To me, it just feels like they're very oversaturated with the amount of young talent that they have. Now, that's fine if you're in a culture where everybody gets to share, everybody gets to play together, and everybody gets to be happy, and they play their minutes, and it doesn't matter as much about the winning. It just is about the development and the fun. That's been what the story has been for the Thunder for a little bit. I got to imagine that now bringing in Chet Holmgren and him coming back from injury and them bringing in Kaysen Wallace, they don't really have that many veterans on their squad, but uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like I, I assume that he wants to win, and so it's going to be about that time soon. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that's like, oh yeah, if they don't start winning, then they're going to have to trade Shea. No, they don't have to, especially if he's happy. But it does feel like this this timeline, it is a slow burn. And they are playing the long game. And nothing could illustrate that more than one of the trades that they just made, where they took on Patty Mills' contract, from what I understand, uh, from the Atlanta Hawks, and acquired a second-round pick in the deal. Nice. <laughs> That's, uh, that is a Sam Presti special right there. But look, I mean, they'll be fine. They'll be good. They might even win half of their games. And if that's the case, then... They'll be a tough out in the playing tournament, but I don't think they're any more than that. And that's okay. They're not trying to be. And the T-Wolves, they have not elevated up to Tier 2. They could potentially elevate up to Tier 2, but I'd have to believe in Carl Anthony Towns in order to do that. I'm just not sure that I do. I'm just not sure that anybody really should. Uh, just from the perspective of I, I think that they need a reset. I think that it's been a long time with him being there. He was drafted in 2015. And so this is his after his seventh season, and he has this massive contract that basically mirrors Jokic and, and what he's actually earning. So he's going to earn close to 50, 60 million, and he's not playing like a $50 million, $60 million player. So they have to reset, in my opinion. I think their roster makes so much more sense if they trade Towns for a guard or a wing that pairs well with Anthony Edwards. The problem is that that guy just doesn't exist. And if it's Damian Lillard, Lillard doesn't want to play there. That's just not something that he wants to do. He doesn't want to be stuck in Minnesota after he played in Portland. So it's too bad. I guess that's probably frustrating to uh, to Minnesota fans to hear. But there just isn't really a great deal for Cat. Not something that people are going to be happy with enough anyway. Like, sure, he could go to New York 
you could trade him for Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, and Quentin Grimes or something like that. The Knicks might not even do that. Like that's that's kind of wild, and that's not changing Minnesota's trajectory anytime soon. So, going to be interesting to see what they ultimately do there. But yeah, that's my tier three. So basically, that's Blazers and Spurs in tier five. I'm just going through that really quick. The Rockets and the Jazz in tier four, and the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Thunder, and the T Wolves in tier three. That's your average group. The teams that are going to be fighting for the play-in tournament for most of the year. Um, Yeah, that's up to seven. When we come back, I'm going to go over Tier 2 and Tier 1 and then just do a quick touch on the ESPY awards and and why those matter, why that, that actually matters to me. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, let's wrap this one up by going over Tier 2, Tier 1, and then the SBs from tonight. Uh, Western Conference tiers, Tier 2, Lakers, Grizzlies, Warriors, and Kings. Uh, I think you can make a justification for sure that Tier 3 and Tier 2 are pretty blended in the Western Conference. Like I think it's fair to say that any of those teams in the kind of the 7 to 11 range could find themselves at the four or five or six seed if like next year if they if they really wanted to be if things go right for them. Um absolutely. No, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what this particular group does. But uh just thinking about the standings, the Lakers were the seventh seed, the Grizzlies were the two seed, the Warriors were the six seed, and the Kings were the three seed. This was the the matchups in the playoffs. Uh, the Lakers and the Grizzlies obviously that one looked pretty one sided. Uh, but that was without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. And uh, a lot of things just kind of lined up for the Lakers. I thought that Dylan Brooks just looked like a dummy uh, when he was doing what he was doing in that particular series and just did not handle that pressure for really well. Um, I think the Grizzlies will be better. Marcus Smart, believe it or not, will be um, – I think he'll be really, really good for the Grizzlies. I think he's going to be a very, very interesting player, somebody who is a winning basketball player who brings a good culture and can play three guard lineups with John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Marcus Marcus Smart all together. I almost said Marcus Howard. That would have been that's shout out Marcus Howard. That's that's hilarious. Uh but think about that trio. Like how versatile that group is, how big and strong that group is, especially of Desmond Bain and Marcus Smart. They are big enough to guard threes. Now, Ja isn't, but like, if he gets his head on straight, and I strongly suspect that he will, um, then he's going to be a, in a really interesting spot. Like th- That's a great group for him. And Marcus Smart is the great, like it's a great hedge to put him there as a starting caliber point guard in the 25 games that Ja is going to miss. Do I think that the Grizzlies really challenge the Nuggets? No, but like, I think that they're interesting enough. And I think that Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark is probably not going to be back, but they have some young guys too. Jake LaRavia, um, David Roddy. They've got uh, Santi Aldama. He's been pretty good for them. 
Uh, so they've got some bigs that I think can actually really help, and they're just going to get older and get better. So that's at least the the theory behind it. So we will see what they ultimately look like. But I still think that the Grizzlies, I, I don't really think that they're going anywhere, despite the fact that Jaw's going to miss a whole bunch of time. They'll be a better playoff team now. Like trading Tyus Jones for Marcus Smart is an upgrade in the playoffs. It just is. Like Tyus Jones is a player that you want for the regular season. Marcus Smart's a player that you want for the playoffs. He's going to be able to do that. So really looking forward to seeing what they look like. I think that that should be really, really good. And we'll see what the rest of their team looks like too. Um, I'm going to skip the Lakers real quick and go to the Warriors. Trading for Chris Paul is almost as much about excising Jordan Poole. Uh, just clearly didn't work. The chemistry didn't work. They want an older vibe. They want a more mature vibe. And Chris Paul is going to give that. He does it in his own way. And it's it's definitely grating on a lot of people. Probably not something that can last for more than multiple years. But I do think that uh, Chris Paul makes sense for a year-long thing with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. It just makes a lot of sense from a regular season standpoint. Now, do they have enough beyond that? Kevon Looney, a good starting center for them, somebody who will play a good role, did a massive job against both uh, DeMontis Sabonis and Anthony Davis. Davis obviously got the better of him eventually, but that's just what like, top 15 players do. Um, beyond those guys, do they have enough? Is Jonathan Kaminga going to step up? Is Moses Moody going to step up? Is Anthony Lamb going to step up or any of these guys, these other guys that they have? They lose Dante DiVincenzo to the New York Knicks. That's a big loss, but I still think that they are okay as long as Moses Moody can do some things. And I think that he will, uh, but it's going to be a very interesting question. Uh, these young guys have to grow up. Like it, It's got to be one timeline. It cannot be two. And egos have got to get out of the way. So going to be interesting to see if they can do it. The Kings, um, nothing crazy with the Kings. They didn't really add anybody crazy. They just retained their guys. They gave DeMontis Sabonis more money. Trey Lyles got uh, a nice extension there. Um, trying to remember what else they even did, but it, it wasn't anything crazy. Uh, I think the Kings are going to be a little bit worse in the regular season. Teams will be a little bit more adjusted to them. Their offense is not going to be as dynamic. The defense will be a little bit better, just being a more veteran group, just kind of the natural progression of that. So if I had to guess, they were like the best offense in the league and the 26th best defense. I think they'll probably be closer to like 4 and 20. And so if that's the case, they're still a above average team. That That's still what I would classify them as, and they'd probably be about 48 wins. That would be my guess. Uh, whether they can actually get up to 50 or not, given how tough the West is, I don't know. We'll find out. But Sabonis is a good regular season wins guy because he's going to be able to set the table as long as Fox is healthy. No reason why they can't continue to be a good regular season wins team. Playoffs, I don't know how they improved. That's one thing. Harrison Barnes is the guy that they retained. They didn't really draft anybody special. Like, not sure where they improved the most. Lakers, um, so they added Gabe Vincent, they added Jackson Hayes, they added Cam Reddish, and they retained Jared Van, not Jared Vanderbilt, they retained Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves. Um, 
And now LeBron is coming back for a 21st season. Woohoo. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I think that the Lakers are going to be good. I don't think that they're going to be this wins juggernaut in the regular season because it involves health and involves depth. And like Gabe Vincent is better. Actually, they also retain D'Angelo Russell. So like they've got some talent on this group. They've got some scoring talent on this group. And then Anthony Davis has been a great defensive player unto himself. Now, is Davis going to be super healthy this year? Is he going to be capable? I'm curious. I'm just as curious as everybody else is. So here's Anthony Davis's game totals in each of the last five years, basically since he got to L.A. Actually, he he got to L.A. four years ago. Uh, During the championship season, he played 62 out of, I think, 73, 72 games. 2021 out of 72 games, he played 36. Eight out of 82 games. A couple of years ago, he played 40. And this last year, he played 56. So healthier. Um, he's been really hurt. And playing more center, doing more physically, just having a more demanding physical role, that's tough for him. That has been tough for him for sure. And that would be, that's going to be at least a little interesting uh, to see whether he can handle it going forward. Uh, they don't really have a great backup option behind him. Jackson Hayes is not going to take a lot of physical pressure off of him. So what is the actual plan? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know what they do when he sits. Uh, so they'll be a good playoff team because LeBron is a great playoff player. Davis is a great playoff player. And as it turns out, Reeves and Rui Hachimura are great playoff players too. Um, but I don't think that that means that they're a great regular season team. Like, I think that they are still a group that is probably in the top six, but definitely not the top two. And that's okay. Like, you don't have to be in the top two to win a championship. The Lakers, or the Warriors proved that um, just a couple years ago. Like, they were the three seed, and it didn't matter because they had championship experience. Wasn't a big deal. So, uh, Grace says everyone is ignoring the Kings signing Sasha Venzikov. Uh, or is it Venzikov? Vezinkov, excuse me, Euroleague MVP. Not ignoring it. I what I will say is that he, okay, he is a he's an addition, and I guess by the very definition of what I said, he does count in terms of additions. It's just hard to figure out where that role is being played. Like, what is he going to do within that group? Is he going to, like because they've got a lot of guys. They've got a lot of guys on their bench. Lots of players that they want to play. How he's going to fit in? I'm I'm not really sure. More of what I consider with this group is like the top five or six players on your roster. And I don't think he's that for the Kings. I think he's probably in their rotation, but not necessarily somebody that really changes the calculus for wins. So I, it's it's fair. It's completely fair. And they have a little bit more depth as a result, but something to at least think about when it comes to what actually moves the line, what actually moves the needle for a lot of these teams. I think the Kings are still a team that is is definitely in line for regression. And the two teams at the top, I think, are going to be the Nuggets and the Suns. We'll start with the Suns. Uh, obviously, trading for Bradley Beal is a big deal, but them also filling out their roster with playable guys at different positions. Josh Okogie is going to be their perimeter defender. Cameron Payne will be their primary backup point guard. Uh, he might even be their starting point guard, depending on how they how they start games. I have to imagine, though, that they probably start with Devin Booker at the point. 
Bradley Beal at the two and Josh Okogie at the three, but I could be wrong. They might go a different direction. Maybe they go Yuta Watanabe, uh, or they go Damian Lee for shooting, or they go somebody else, Eric Gordon. I, actually, I kind of think that Eric Gordon makes sense coming off the bench, but they've got various players now that I think if you just pencil in Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton for 36 minutes to 40 minutes a night in the playoffs, then there's not that much you have to do around those guys in order to make it really, really good. Uh, But what I will say is that they didn't get anybody that really scares you if you're a Nuggets fan because what they actually did offensively like they, they have some good options there. Don't get me wrong. Like Eric Gordon can really space the floor for them. Watsonaba is going to be a tryhard, especially in a playoff context. Like he'll, he'll win some key loose balls and hit a corner three in a game four. Maybe play a Landry Shamit role of sorts. But is that really going to change who they are? Is it really going to change everything about who they are and how difficult it is to guard them? Yes, it's difficult, but still have to do basically the same thing which is close out at the three-point line, don't let them get all the way to the rim, and contest as many of the two-point shots as you possibly can. Uh, that's about it. Um, how does losing Tory Craig affect their team? I'm not sure it affects them a ton. Tory was fine. He wasn't like this massive impact guy for them. Like He filled some minutes for them during the regular season. And he actually he played a great role. But it was pretty clear by the playoffs that like, Denver didn't trust him. They they didn't respect him at all. And the Suns immediately went to Josh Okogi in that uh, playoff series, if you recall. Like, they didn't even let Torrey Craig start that game. Uh, they went to Josh Okogi because they knew that they had to defend Jamal, and that's, that's the way that they wanted to do it. Uh, things didn't end up working out for them either way, but I, I don't think that that's going to end up being that major of a loss. Like, Watanabe is going to do some of that stuff. And then they've got some other guys. They got Kata Bates Diop. They got Bull Bull. Like, who knows? Like, maybe, maybe those guys really step up as their, their starting forward next to Kevin Durant. But I, I sort of think it will be Josh Akogi again. And if that's the case, then that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see what they do. I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it's that bad. But are they good enough to match up with Denver? I still would pick Denver in a series against them, uh, but I can understand why trading Chris Paul, who played two games in that series and looked pretty bad when he was out there, why trading him would make them better, and why adding a guy like Bradley Beal, who averages 30 points a night when he's in a great zone, could be very, very helpful. Like, Do I think that it's going to actually affect them? Not especially, but I do think that it makes them better than everybody else uh, because other teams are not going to be able to match up with them the way that Denver does. And Denver, even though they lost Bruce Brown, like they've got other guys that can match up with a Devin Booker or a Bradley Beal or somebody like that. Like Christian Brown just being able to step into that role as a 25-minute-per-game kind of guy is a big deal. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what Denver does. But I still have Denver at one. I It's going to hinge a lot at Peyton Watson. It's going to hinge a lot on Christian Brown and Zeke Naji and guys like that. I think people know what to expect from Vlako Chanchar at this point. They know what to expect from Reggie Jackson. It's going to be pretty erratic with Reggie. 
with Vlaco, it's a little bit lower for um, like the actual ceiling that you're going to get. But I think for Denver, they're still at the top. And like in the end, all these teams still have to defend the Nicole Jokic-Jamal Murray two-man game. And that's just going to be a thing. Nobody else can do it. Nobody can. Nobody has shown that they can. Nobody has shown the willingness to be able to. And I don't think a lot of teams really went after that with their offseason targets. They tried to improve their own teams just naturally, but I'm not sure that they made themselves better against Denver. So we're going to find out. We're going to find out which of these teams can match up with Denver, if any. But I do think that Denver's, like their floor is definitely lower without Bruce Brown. Like he at least elevates them in the regular season, especially by being able to start at the one, two, or three, depending on who's out. Uh, Now, if you, let's say, Jamal Murray sits out a game. Probably have to start Reggie Jackson as the backup point guard. Now he moves into the starting lineup. If KCP sits out, you probably start Christian Brown. If Michael Porter sits out, you probably start Christian Brown still, but you might even start Peyton Watson, or you might even start like Justin Holiday or somebody like that for a little bit more spacing. So I'm very curious to see what they ultimately do and, and how they match up in the regular season. But in the playoffs, it's about ceiling. It's about putting your best guys out there, coming up with solutions. I still think that Denver's best solution is Jokic Murray two-man game and surrounding those guys with defenders. And they've got enough of those guys, even without Bruce Brown. Like Peyton Watson's a good defender. Christian Brown's a good defender. KCP's a good defender. Aaron Gordon's a good defender. Michael Porter, when he's on, is a good defender. Like Denver's got enough now. So really good to see. And I think there's there's been a lot that's overblown when it comes to Denver's demise. Like, I don't think it's actually there. I think it's more what the NBA wants to happen. Like, they don't want Denver to be a dynasty. They would rather the Lakers come back to the top. They'd rather the Warriors come back to the top. They'd rather a big market, there's no doubt. But, like, um, I'm not surprised. And Denver's going to have to fight through that. All right. Last thing before we go, the ESPYs. ESPYs were out, and best NBA player of the year went to Nikola Jokic. Congrats to him. I'm sure he's elated. I'm sure he's he's really pumped. Uh, but really good to see him get some credit for that. He had a monster year, deserved regular season MVP, didn't end up getting it for obvious reasons. Um, like bureaucratic bullshit is what my my brother would say. Uh, but he still earned a Western Conference Finals MVP. He still earned an NBA Finals MVP. And now he earns an SP4 best player in the NBA on top of getting that ring on his ring finger. Uh, great stuff. Great stuff from Nikola Jokic this year. I mean, he, he Nuggets fans know how much he deserves this. He could have won it in each of the previous two seasons as well. Um, didn't because, again, that's, he, they didn't want to embrace him for obvious reasons, but that doesn't matter. He is still fantastic. The real important one was the comeback athlete of the year, in my opinion. Jamal Murray gets that, and you could really feel how important that moment was to him, and just kind of how it's a nice culmination for what has been a massive journey for Jamal to get back. Uh, I always talk about this. Jamal and I, we've, we've connected over the years. He and I are basically the same age. And we basically started with the Nuggets at the same time. Like I started from South Carolina and covered some things. Like 
I was there watching him uh, when he was at Kentucky playing against South Carolina. That was his uh, freshman season was my freshman year. And I was watching him in that building and dunking on people. It was great. It was, it was amazing. Um, and then he gets drafted and has the, the glow up that he does and shows out in the bubble the way that he does. And there was a lot of people that didn't have a ton of faith in him, but I stuck by it a little bit. And he ultimately proved everybody right from, from that regard, or at least the, the folks that stuck with him. And then tears the ACL and people start to wonder, was the bubble a fluke? Was this just a thing that happened? Like, is this not going to be replicable? And then he has this massive recovery and wanted to come back last year, didn't end up coming back last year, and then came back this past year. And that that growth was it was long. Everybody knows. Like Jokic said in the, the he would suck for the first twenty games, and he was right. Like Murray was not good. And it isn't lost on me that I'm pretty sure that December eighth game is about game twenty. It's about game twenty for Jamal, where he hits that buzzer beater, or like not buzzer not fully buzzer beater, the game winning shot against the Portland Trailblazers on December eighth. And from that moment on uh, it just felt like he was a different dude. Uh, let's just see. Uh, so that was this, that was game 21 for Jamal. So he had gone through the first 20. Game 21 is that game. And so from then on in the regular season, he averaged. Let me just look it up here. 21 points, 6.7 assists, 4.1 rebounds, 46% from the field, 41% from three, 85% from the line. Great numbers. And then he turned it up even more in the playoffs and was just a completely different dude because that's just who he is. That's just the kind of player he is. The playoff numbers that he averaged were absurd, and he deserves all this credit. Like, people have grown to respect Jamal Murray, and he's a fun player to root for for that reason because I don't think a lot of people fully got it with him. They didn't fully understand what we see, what we saw. And it was really cool. Really cool to see him accept that. He had a nice speech. Jokic, I'm sure, would have given given a great speech, but he was uh, was, uh, in Serbia somewhere. So, look, glad to see the Nuggets getting the credit that they deserve. It only took them winning a championship and for Jokic to win two MVPs and several awards in between. But uh, still great to see and, and really cool for the Nuggets to be credited in that way. But everybody... Uh, I think that is going to do it. We've gone pretty long. Gone pretty long here. I'm going to try to keep it way under an hour going forward, but I just wanted to be able to talk about all these these fun topics. But everybody, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. Make sure to hit that like button on the way out. Really appreciate that. Sorry about the setup. Again, I'm I'm at the parents' house, uh, just doing what I can to help take care of um, the parents. So thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, I will be back on Friday. Denver is playing again on Friday night. I don't know whether I'm going to go before or after that game, but I suspect I'll probably go after that game. So probably about the same time as you're seeing this podcast now. So hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out. I will talk to you guys very soon.